Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. I feel I sort of spent the last few years of my life making my living by making fun of computers. And then suddenly it turned around and bit me back. Douglas Adams is a hero to computer geeks everywhere. His Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is right up there with Monty Python in the Hall of Geek Memes. And legend has it that Adams was one of the first people in the UK to get a Macintosh computer. And on that Mac, he used a program called Folrite. Now, we could possibly do a whole episode on the rise and fall of Folrite. It had one of the first true what-you-see-is-what-you-get interfaces, handled long documents particularly well, and included an outliner. That's, that's a true dream list of features for writers in 1988. Scientist and writer Douglas Hofstadter, for example, was a big fan. But it was also kind of buggy and, more importantly, eventually crushed by Microsoft Word. So why bring it up? Its lead engineer was a guy named Steve Newman. And in 1989, that's a year after launch or so, a young programmer named Steve Schillis joined the company as a programmer on Fulright. Those two got to know each other. And later, with the help of a self-described party person, Claudia Carpenter, they would revolutionize how everyone works every day. Let's help you know a little more about collaborative editing. So I'm going to establish a collaborative mode between me and another terminal. Bill Paxton is at a terminal back at SRI. That's Douglas Engelbart in 1968, demonstrating how two people connected over a network could work together editing a document at the same time. It was one of the many impressive technological advancements that Engelbart showed off. The mouse, hyperlinks, video conferencing, and more. If you missed our episode on the mother of all demos, definitely go back and take a listen to that. One of the themes from that episode that people who have listened already know is that almost nothing came out of that demo directly. It was oddly too far ahead of its time. But collaborative editing, it takes the cake on that point. It would be 35 years or so between Engelbart's demo of collaborative editing in 1968 and the rise of our mainstream use of that technology. One of the earliest 
examples that had any significant use was called Instant Update for Mac OS, and it didn't arrive until 1991. Multiple users of Instant Update could edit a single document at the same time over a LAN, a local area network, so you had to be in the same location. And it needed a workgroup server set up to work. It, it, it didn't catch on. It wasn't until the internet became widespread and popular that real-time collaborative editing became common. One of the first successful efforts was from a student at Gdansk University of Technology in Poland. Tom Dobrowolski created a multi-editoro program in 2003. He later renamed it Moon Edit. Maybe you've heard of it under that name. It used code from Ken Silverman's Build video game engine so that you could do collaboration. Up to 14 users could edit at the same time. Text from each person was highlighted a different color so you knew who was writing what. And it featured infinite undo and a time slider so you could replay the edits. It was available for Linux, Windows, or FreeBSD. And it needed somebody to set up a server for it to work. Then there's Subetha Edit. Yes, named after the communication network in Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oddly, it was originally named Hydra, but they had to change that name because of legal reasons. It was put together in early 2003 in an attempt to win an Apple Design Award, and it won it at Apple's WWDC in 2003. It's mainly a word processor, it was an application you installed, but you could turn on a collaborative mode that worked without configuration on a LAN or with a little setup over the internet. It's still being developed, and you can get it on GitHub. But neither MoonEdit or SubEthaEdit used the web, and we were fast moving into a world where people didn't want to download an app if they didn't have to. That was thanks to Ajax. It's a name for a collection of web development techniques that could send and receive data in the background on a web page. Because without Ajax, a web page usually had to reload to significantly update itself. And it wasn't even new in 2003. It had been around since 1999. It wasn't even a language. It was just a way of using HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. But in 2003 is when it exploded in popularity as part of the Web 2.0 movement. Everybody was scrambling to make more dynamic web pages like Google's Gmail. Among the folks playing with Ajax were Steve Newman and Steve Schillis. Since we last saw them working on the doomed Fulrite, they had worked together on Claris Homepage. That was a what-you-see-is-what-you-get-HTML editor. And they started a company called Bitcraft that developed a JavaScript application engine. They sold Bitcraft to Macromedia in 2000. And by 2002, they were both consulting with Intuit to build a customer manager for QuickBooks. In the usability lab there, they met Claudia Carpenter. I got to tell you, I was like a party girl and, uh, you know, I was, <laughs> I was trouble. I was one of those people that, that my teachers all said, oh, but you could do so much better if you would just try. And I'm like, try? What's with that? You know, I got, I got places to be, things to do. My mother's signature to forge. That's how Carpenter described her teen years to the ClickUp podcast. But by 1980, she was studying computer science at Cal State Chico and regularly topping her class. Out of college, she worked as a software engineer for HP for six years before moving over to Intuit, where she eventually found herself working on QuickBooks, and one day she was in a conference room with Newman and Schillis. After Carpenter had her second child, she wanted to try something new and get out of the office, get more flexible. So she, Newman, and Schillis left Intuit to just try stuff. 
They worked in Newman's attic room above his garage. Classic Silicon Valley story. He had a, a big room, a big attic room with a big huge pool table in it and lots and lots of Lego. They didn't know exactly what they were going to do, but Schillis later told The Verge they knew they wanted to work with Ajax. In fact, they started by just trying to find a way to keep document locking from getting in the way of two people working on the same document, and that eventually led to them developing a basic word processor. They called it Doxter, and later changed that name to Rightly. They bet that users would want speed and the convenience of always having the latest version of a document available, so they wrote a lean 10 pages of JavaScript that didn't include more advanced functions. No rich formatting, no margins, no pagination. It was a version of collaborative editing that probably would have looked familiar to Douglas Engelbart in 1968. It didn't even include a save button, which was one of the earliest complaints about Rightly from a generation of computer users trained to save regularly or face the peril of a lost document. Carpenter's brother was an MBA professor and made one of his classes do their assignments in Rightly. Students complained not only about the limited features, but the lack of a save button, so much so the Carpenter said they actually tried to get the dean of the college to overrule her brother. Well, that experience led them to add the only other employee their small company ever would have, Jennifer Mazin, another Intuit colleague, who Carpenter convinced to work for them as a second job. Mazin eventually left Intuit to work on Rightly full-time. Rightly officially launched in August 2005. How did it go? Well, again, Carpenter talking to the ClickUp podcast. We had this plan that we were going to go to Hawaii when we had 10,000 users. <laughs> and that happened so quickly that it was like, oh no. And Steve Newman, one of the co-founders, tells the story of me looking at the usage. And I said, make them stop. Because frankly, it was just more than we could handle. It was popular. And they knew they would need help somehow to keep it working. The group had always thought that Google was a likely home for their product, but they spent the better part of a year being told no by Google and then having to say no themselves to Google for various reasons and so on. Sam Schillis took the meetings with Google and they eventually did lead to Google acquiring Rightly on March 9th, 2006. And Rightly became Google Docs. And as you know, didn't stand alone. That same year, Google acquired two web technologies, which was working on a collaborative spreadsheet that would become Google Sheets. And the next year made two acquisitions to create Google Slides. The popularity of Rightly continued under the name Google Docs, and eventually Microsoft, that titan of word processing, bowed to the pressure and introduced its own Office web apps in 2010. And these days, collaborative editing is the norm. People use Google Docs and Office for the web every day. It's normal. But it took a while to get there. And what about the fate of the heroes of our story? Steve Newman worked for Google as an engineer until 2010, then left for online storage company Box in 2011, and after his stint there, founded a data service company called Scalar, S-C-A-L-Y-R, which he left after acquisition in February 2023. He now says on his LinkedIn that he's blogging on AI and climate change while he thinks about what to do next. Schillis pursued a lot of projects. Among them, he also went to box with Newman, then came back to Google in 2016 to work on Google Maps. But in September 2021, he left Google again, and this time he became a deputy CTO at Microsoft. 
What about Claudia Carpenter? Carpenter left Google in 2010 to work on her own projects as Restartle and Girl Power Software, then worked with Steve Newman again at Scalar until February 2021. On her LinkedIn, she says she's retired, but also that she's absolutely terrible at retiring. And that wraps up the last and the latest of the innovations of the mother of all demos to come into the mainstream. This episode was written in Docster. Ah, no, rightly, no, Google Docs. In other words, I hope you know a little more about collaborative editing. Know a Little More is available without ads to direct supporters at patreon.com slash more. It was researched, written, and hosted by me, Tom Merritt. Editing and production provided by Anthony Lamos and Dog and Pony Show Audio. It's issued under a Creative Commons Share Attribution 4.0 international license. Dog and Pony Show Audio. 'll need to babysit your robot vacuum think again meet Yuffie X10 pro Omni robot vacuum with AI powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects it's the winner of five best of CES awards and digital trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much want to know more go to Yuffie.com that's eufy.com and discover X10 pro Omni the best in class all-in-one robot vacuum for only 799 dollars. Hello, listener. Is it me you're looking for? As brands, we're always wanting to make a connection, to find the person you can rely on, the one that's there every week, month, or year, and always has your back when you need them the most. It's a little like matchmaking, don't you think? With ACAST podcast ads, you can filter for your exact dream audience so you can find the ideal customer for your business. The Romeo to your Juliet, the Rachel to your Ross, the Bert to your Ernie, and avoid those red flags and time wasters. Your ads can communicate with them in the most intimate way possible. A one-on-one conversation, a chance meeting in the gym, or a coffee shop. So go on, give it a try. With over hundreds of thousands of listens a month, your person is probably here. Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com to get started.